listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hi, Connor. Hey, Bob. How you doing? Pretty good, except the heat's killing me here in London. Yeah, I, I hear heat is a growing problem on this planet. I've caught wind <laughs> of that trend. So if I've heard. Um, let me introduce this. I'm Robert Wright, uh, publisher of the Non-Zero Newsletter. This is the Non-Zero Podcast. You are Connor Leahy. You, you pronounce it Leahy, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and you are CEO of Conjecture, an AI company whose motto is we make AGI safe, where AGI stands for artificial general intelligence, something that's not with us yet, but many people expect to be with us in a few years. Um, so you're somebody who's very concerned about risks posed by AI. Um, and I gather many of the other employees at Conjecture, I noticed that there was an internal survey done, it's on your website, and mm -hmm. uh, most of the people surveyed there think the chances that AI will lead to extinction, either via the AI itself or via bad actors using it, uh, the extinction of the human species, um, most people in your company think the chances of that are greater than 50%, higher than the AI community average. Uh, there, I think about half of the people think it's greater than 10%, which is not nothing. Um when you're talking about annihilate, total and utter annihilation. Um, so, and you're trying to do something about this, trying to do something about the so-called alignment problem, you know, making sure that AI is aligned with human values and interests. Um, before we get into what you're doing, uh, I wanted to uh, kind of flesh out the nature of your concerns a little more. So I, I can see concerns uh, breaking down into maybe three basic categories. One you could call kind of societal destabilization, might not lead to extinction, but destabilization just due to what you could call legitimate uses of AI. In other words, people at companies use it to increase productivity. That means that they, they wind up firing people. You have massive unemployment. That's socially destabilizing. You can imagine a lot of things like that. People just being freaked out by the way it's suddenly entering their lives. Uh, and, and that's... That can be destabilizing. Okay, there's that. Then there's bad human actors using it. You know, uh, using it to invent horrible new weapons, using it to be a weapon, uh, whether in the sense of like, you know, a, a great Uber hacker that, that goes from computer to computer, seizing control of them and uh, does nefarious things. Uh, you know, you can imagine people using it in bad ways on social media. We can get into some of those maybe. Um, but anyway, then the third category is the AI itself going rogue, uh, either individual cases where it's just out of control, does something bad, or in the extreme scenario, there's some kind of, uh, you know, alpha AI, like the dominant AI uh, kills us all or, or something, or maybe stuffs us into cocoons like on the Matrix. Um so those are the three categories. Uh, if you accept that taxonomy, what would you say is your main concern? So I think this is a pretty sensible taxonomy. Uh, I, I maybe rephrase a little bit in like how I would phrase it. I kind of like to think of it from the opposite perspective. The way I like to think about it is that I think there's four types of AI, or rather there's four types of any type of technology. So type one is technology, which is so unsafe. It doesn't matter who uses it, it blows up. It's no one should have this technology. It doesn't matter if you're well-intentioned. It doesn't matter if the nicest person in the world, the most careful person in the world uses it, it blows up. Mm -hmm. Type two technology, the technology that if you're very, very careful and you're very, very nice and you have best intentions, you can, if you're lucky, make it safe. But you, it is not robust to misuse or to accidents. The third type is something that is totally safe to use, except if explicitly used for something bad. So it is robust to accidents, but not to misuse. And the fourth is technology, which is always good. You can give it to the most evil psychopath in the world, and it's fine. This is, you know, it's still a net positive. Not much technology gets into the fourth category, but... Um, like a soft so, rubber ball or something you could give to anybody. How much damage could they yeah. do with a Nerf ball? Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, you, you like a lot of like normal like like boring technology you know like mm -hmm. a, a shirt you know like that's a net positive yeah. for whoever has it like whatever okay. right that's not really interesting so it's, it's way more interesting to think about 
more powerful technology. Like, you know, uh, a handgun is actually quite safe in the hands of someone who doesn't do bad things with it. They don't spontaneously fire. They're quite robust nowadays. You know, it's not like back in the days where gunpowder would blow up in your hands, right? So like, you know, a, a handgun would be a type three technology in a sense, is that if someone wants to use it to do something bad, nothing's stopping them. But mm -hmm. they won't, it's much rarer for accidents to occur in the sense that like they would maybe 100 or 200 years ago with firearms. It would be an example of like really robust accidents, not 100% robust, but relatively robust. Um, so my concern is, is that it is the way technology usually goes is that the first technology you build is a type one. It's just something totally stupid. It's just something that blows up. It leaks, you know, chemicals into the water supply, whatever. Like it's if you're building something super powerful, the first one you build is probably going to suck. It's probably going to be really bad unless you're really, really careful. So the first version of any powerful technology. If you're not very careful, it's possible okay. to get around that. Like, you know, I would say, you know, the Trinity test was not a type one technology. So the first nuclear bomb was not type one because they did know how to prevent it from exploding. They did know they had, you know, theories. They had, you know, nuclear science to understand, hey, OK, first, let's test on really small nuclear devices and like try mm -hmm. to figure it out. So, you know, it wasn't like they were unsure at what point the nuclear bomb would explode. No, they had mm -hmm. very good mathematical models of this. But if you had just tried to build a nuclear bomb without using mathematics, you would have built some horrible Frankenstein construction that would have probably blown up accidentally while you're building it. It is because we had really good mathematics and we had really good theories that we could, um, you know, build it, the first one, in a, set, in a way that it didn't instantly blow up in your face. Okay. Um, so building a type two or a type three technology is harder than a type one technology. It doesn't mean it's impossible. I'm just saying you need more mathematics. You need better theories. You need it's you need more control mechanisms. You know, you just need to be better at science. You need to be better at engineering to build type two, three, four systems and type one system. And unfortunately, the way AI is looking to me right now is that by default, you get a type one AI. By default, if you just build a system that's just super powerful, is trying to optimize its environment to achieve some goal. If you don't understand how it works, if you don't have a theory of intelligence, if you don't understand what it's optimizing for, you don't get something nice. You get something that does, who knows, you know, it does something. It does not have human values. Human values are quite complicated. Mm -hmm. Like this is a hard engineering challenge. Like, you know, humans like lots of things and humans also disagree on what they like. And the way it's implemented in the brain is unknown. We don't know why some people are sociopaths and why some people are very empathetic. We don't know how these things work in the brain. So we also don't know how to implement these in computers. Can, can I uh, interrupt and, and ask if I'm correct in inferring that you therefore think the main concern is what was my third category, like rogue AI or something? Um, because uh, so far as bad actors are concerned, it doesn't matter whether we understand the AI or not, kind of, right? I mean, I guess, you know, I, in other words, if they're just going to use the designed-in capabilities of the AI, like to generate, to to mimic a human being and seem just like a human being, and they want to deploy that on social media and recruit a bunch of people who think they're talking to a real charismatic cult leader, recruit them into a cult and get them to do something crazy, Um that bad actor doesn't care whether we understand how the AI works, right? So solving the so-called interpretability problem, doing a better job of understanding how exactly large language models work, um, it doesn't so much matter for that category, right? It, 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 yeah. Okay. Yes. So I fully agree with this. So what I'm, I'm saying here is, is that I'm not trying to say that categories two, three, et cetera, don't exist. I'm saying these are extremely important. But you have to also solve one first. Like if you don't get over the hurdle of, of you know, the first category, you don't even get to the second category. You get into small versions. We're already seeing small versions of, of like two and three types. Like you're, you're describing, like, you know, people using, um, you know, language models to impersonate people to create massive, you know, cult leader-like things. I'm surprised we haven't seen more of this. I've been worried about this for years at this point that like I've seen what these things can do and like how much humans are manipulable. Like humans are mm -hmm. very manipulable, like emotionally if you're very sociopathic about it. And I think we haven't, you know, even with the current level of technology, never mind AGI, I don't think we've currently even seen the limits here. I think even if like all of AI technology would stop today and no AGI happened, I think this would still be unstable. And we would still see huge changes, you know, and huge new forms of cybercrime and new forms of mass just, persuasion. Just, just in the bad actor category, if we stopped exactly. right now, there's a lot of risks we actually haven't addressed. 
Exactly. I, I already think we're in an unstable regime. Like, I am not saying, you know, not necessarily existential. I don't know. I mean, maybe. Uh, but um, I think we're already in an overhang. Like, the technology being deployed right now is already so far ahead of what people have digested, quote unquote. Or like, people understand how to use. Like, I don't think intelligence agencies have yet really figured out what the right way is to use LLMs, mm. but they're going to figure it out. It's mm -hmm. going to take them a few years. You know, these agencies are slow, you know, and like cyber criminals, you know, not always the brightest bulbs, right? But like every so often you get some really bright people doing crime or involved in like, you know, intelligence agencies and so on. And if they have, you know, five or 10 years of experience and, you know, field experience of deploying these kinds of technologies, I think this is going to look very different from what we're seeing today. Okay, but that is not the main problem conjecture is focused on, I gather. Correct. You are, yes. if you're focusing on understanding better how the AI is working, and then I guess wanting to amend it in light of that, uh, yes. that means you're concerned about the AI itself getting in some sense out of control, going rogue, whatever. And maybe we could flesh those scenarios out a little, I guess, the best known spokesperson for the extreme uh, catastrophe scenarios is probably Eliezer Yudkowsky. Um, I, I think, I'm not sure how good a job he's done of communicating exactly what his concern is. He speaks at a very high level of abstraction. Uh, mm -hmm. And, uh, but do you, do you sign on to to more or less his fears? I'm sure you understand his fears better than I do. Do you do you do you buy them? Yeah, my my fears are definitely in the same category. I disagree with him on you know some details, but like the same general categories. I think generally, you know, the reason humans run the planet and not chimps is because we're intelligent, not because mm -hmm. we're smarter. Sorry, it's not because we're stronger. It's not because we're faster. It's because we have bigger fangs than chimps. Because we're smarter. You know, mm -hmm. humans go to the moon. Chimps don't. Mm -hmm. And if something were to come to the planet, a new species that mm -hmm. was to humans as humans are to chimps, yeah, I expect that to go badly. Like kind of like by default, like even, you know, just like on just if someone presented me this argument with no further, you mm -hmm. know, data, I would already be like, yeah, that seems that seems sus. Like that already now, seems dangerous. Now, people might think you are assuming that these AIs would have the same motivational structure as humans. That is, they like to have more influence. They like power, or at least some significant subset of them are going to like power. And, uh, you know, I'm sure uh, uh, an objection you've heard is that, well, humans are like this because of our particular evolutionary history. It's not inherent in intelligence uh, that it seeks power. And I'm sure you have a response to that. Yeah, so this is true in the general sense, is that is it possible to construct an AI that is does not have power-seeking tendencies? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is possible. We just don't know how to do it. And it's even worse than that. The truth is, is that we are trying to build power-seeking AI. That's what all these companies are trying to do. All these companies, you know, OpenAI, Anthropic, DeepMind, etc., what they are trying to do is to build agents that solve goals. You can give tasks, you can give things, and then they try to win. They try, they, you're trying to give them capabilities to maximize, you know, whether it's shareholder value or money or, you know, solving scientific problems, whatever. This is the explicit goal. It's not, this is the explicit goal. This is success. This is not an weird accident that's happening. Mm -hmm. This is what people want. I sometimes like to translate, like sometimes when AI people talk about the word intelligence, um, I think a better way to say would be ability to get shit done. Mm-hmm. So once you give an intelligence a goal, if you don't constrain it and say, but don't do this to reach the goal and don't do that to reach the goal, in principle, you worry that it will do anything to reach the goal, in including uh, wipe out human rivals. You know, you know, if it's told to maximize uh, the, the prospects for a given corporation, it might uh, find a way to kill the CEO of a rival corporation. I mean, uh, stop me when you think I'm getting too crazy and these aren't the kinds of things you're worried about. But um, but I but think you'll go much further than that. <laughs> yeah, okay. So that's the concern. But I guess you'd say we're kind of not there yet in terms of the concern being real. You're you're worried about a more powerful uh and and kind of just uh, almost inherently less constrained in intelligence. Uh you're worried about AGI. 
uh, kind of, right? Uh, yeah, depending on how you define that term, basically. I think what, we're but, already... Can we pause there and do that? Nobody ever defines it. When they, when they say... See, I had always thought, when I first heard the term years ago, I thought, well, what they're doing is it, 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 this would be the alternative to so-called expert systems or domain-specific intelligence, where they design an AI to do something like diagnose what's wrong with my car. That's just an expert system. And in the early days of AI, we weren't able to do much better than that. So I thought AGI was just like, well, something that that is more general. And I'd say in a certain sense, if that was all AGI was, we're there. ChatGPT is pretty general. And it seems like a person. Mm -hmm. And and uh, so AGI must mean more than that. What what does artificial general intelligence mean? So I actually like what you just said in the sense that I kind of agree with you that I mean ChatGPT. If you had shown ChatGPT to someone like an AI researcher in the eighties and you would ask them, "Do you think this is AGI?" They probably would have said yes. Right. Like so, there is a total goalpost shifting that has happened. Uh, this is of course not new to the field of AI. Every time something gets solved by AI, it's no longer real AI. But then mm -hmm. you know whatever the next thing is. So I totally agree with you here that there is a total nonsense shifting of you know goalpost shifting that has been happening you know for decades at this point and this is just the latest one so i can give you a definition that i personally like it's not a very de scientific definition but i find it helpful um the one i like i'm not saying this is a universal one but this is one that i like is it is systems that have the thing that humans have that chimps don't there's something that humans have that allows us to build industrial civilization and go to the moon chimps don't have this even so chimps have the same like rough brain architecture you know rough body shape and so on they don't they've been around for the same time as us they don't go to the moon we do and so whether this is a singular thing or not is controversial like is it a single magic bit that like you know you have to find the you know the magic x alg you know general algorithm or something i don't expect so so personally, my opinion is that I expect it's kind of a matter of degree. Is that once you get to a certain level of general capability, memory, computing power, um, efficiency, you know, language, reason, reason thought, et cetera, um, it compounds. Once you can, you know, compound information over time, over generations, you can do mathematics, you can do science. Um, this unlocks just like a massive amount of capabilities. I, I think just to interject, I think a lot of kind of evolutionary psychologists would say that in addition to that, there has been in the case of human intelligence, a certain amount of domain specific uh, tools built in like linguistic processing. I mean, they would say that like that is something we that is an, a specific adaptation and so too with maybe even things like rudimentary counting, like when I don't know what what various things they'd say. And then there, then you get a kind of synergy among those things, I think. Uh, but but this this is just a footnote. I I, I think mm -hmm. it seems to be unlikely that you could take a chimp brain and just do increases of degree in some sense and get human intelligence. But that's well, a, a footnote. I, I, I'm not a neuroscientist, but my understanding okay. is that this is this is actually the best description of the difference between human and chimp brains. It's mostly just size. There are no new parts of the brain in the mm -hmm. human brain. There are we have a much larger neocortex. And mm -hmm. so this is maybe 50% the neuroscientists would agree with me on this. I think the neocortex specifically, a specific part of the brain is mostly learned. I don't think this is pre-wired. Parts of the brains are pre-wired by the genome and specifically the ones outside of the telencephalon, while other parts are kind of like neural network parameters. They're learned after birth. Mm -hmm. And uh, the human part, the learning part in humans is very, very, very large compared to any other animal. It's oh, there's massive. a lot of learning, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, of all, all that yeah. aside, I interrupted you. Go go ahead. Whatever mm -hmm. it is that that distinguishes us from mm -hmm. chimps, um, yeah. AGI would have it. Yes. Uh, maybe a practical way to define AGI is the level at which your concerns start to be real, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's the that's what you care about. Yeah, that's a way of seeing. I mean, I think it's a it's a it's a, in a sense a thing of degree. Like we can already mm. see these things being capable of things I find concerning, not existential per se, but this is a matter of degree. The same way if I saw the Chicago pile, which was the first nuclear reactor, it output about 40 watts of energy, enough for like a light bulb, not particularly dangerous per se. But if I had seen the Chicago pile and I understood what it was, I would have been freaked out. I would have been like, oh no, like this is, oh no, this is fission. Like mm -hmm. this is crazy. We're going to see nuclear bombs really soon. 
I feel a similar thing about current systems. I think we're currently in the Chicago pile moment where we have like, you know, 40 watt nuclear reactors. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. If we can make a 40 watt reactor, that means we can also build, you know, a, you know, two megaton, you know, hydrogen bomb. It's just a matter of engineering at this point. We mm -hmm. have the basic building blocks. It's still, you know, big engineering necessary. We're, there's still lots of engineering and building big computers and et cetera that needs to be done. But I think the fundamental theories or the fundamental, this is of course controversial, this is my opinion, mm -hmm are there. And so that does that mean you think the basic structure of a large language model kind of is the holy grail? Yes. Okay. It's not the only way to do it. I think there's other ways to do which are more efficient. It's just the first way we figured out that scales. Mm -hmm. Like all the previous systems we had had various problems with scaling is that uh, so when I first started doing uh, AI work, um, I before GPT, any of this, even before transformers existed, I uh, so like the real innovation is what's called the transformer, which is a the architecture that GPT uses. And when I was doing like symbol prediction AIs or like reasoning AIs and so on, um, there was always this problem that you could like maybe solve a specific subproblem with some new architecture, but then it wouldn't generalize or you know it would break you know once you started applying it to a new problem and you had to develop a whole new architecture to like address you know problem one and two or whatever. So there's always like these like bottlenecks that like mm -hmm. you know you. But what happened with the transformer and GPT later on is what is that what happened is, is that we got an architecture you can apply to language, even like vision, sound, whatever, and you can just make it bigger. You can just add more computing power, more parameters, and it gets better. It mm -hmm. learns new higher level patterns. It becomes more robust. It has more facts, you know, et cetera, et cetera. This was really the breakthrough is that when I first saw GPT-2, actually, I was like, holy shit, this is it. Like mm -hmm. even the earliest version, which was really dumb. It was really weak. It could barely string together a sentence. It was like, wait, this scales. This is nuclear fission. You can add more uranium and it gets bigger. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so... One question would be, uh, before we get into kind of what you're hoping to do about this problem, like uh, if we look at the AI that exists now, like, you know, OpenAI, Bard, whatever, um, what is the, and you try to imagine this scenario where by virtue of pursuing a goal that's been given, uh, it does something bad because we didn't sufficiently constrain its approach to that goal. Um, what are plausible scenarios kind of right now, this year, of how this could, you know, I, I don't think you worry that it's going to yet start assassinating CEOs of rival corporations and stuff. Are there things that we should worry about that could happen like this year? I think there are. Not of that order of magnitude. Right. It's unlike. It's possible, but not but extremely unlikely. Um, I'd actually like to quickly give an example of something which is not harmful, but I think is actually very illustrative of what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a funny experiment me and some of my colleagues did about a year ago on a uh, GPT model, where this is one of the models which I trained to be a you know chatbot that never says bad things. And so we asked the chatbot, are bugs real? And the model output, what, some people believe bugs are real, while other people believe they are not real. This is a question which has many aspects, blah, 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 blah. You know, so it had like this like canned answer. So it kind of like pattern matched the question to being like a controversial like politics question or religion question, and then like gave this boilerplate answer. And then afterwards, we asked the AI, was the answer you just gave helpful? And it said, no. So it understood that this answer was completely not helpful and told, and it under, it knew that bugs were real, but it was, it didn't care. This mm. is a nice example of an AI system that was trained with a goal, be polite to users or, you know, only, you know, never answer controversial questions or whatever. And then it care, it might care about that maybe, or at some version of that, but it won't necessarily care about the user ones because, you know, it's, that's we don't know how to actually make it one what the user wants so to get back to your original question but what will we see right now so i already think there's a lot of dangers that can come from language models i already think that this is going to supercharge like catfishing and uh social like social engineering that, it's that's crazy. duping people into thinking that, that, that exactly. they're conversing with someone who wants one thing when the person actually doesn't in this case they'd also be duping them into thinking it's a person uh, exactly. So we are currently in a world 
where it is possible for you to meet someone online, make become friends with them, talk to them every day, exchange pictures, talk to them on the phone, you know, invite them to your wedding, you know, and this person never existed. This is currently possible with current technology. But isn't this it in is, the bad actor category? Like some human chooses yes. to deploy it maliciously. Okay. Yes. Yes. This is a, so you asked for like general things. For okay. the specific like go rogue things, it's mostly of the type of like um pump injections is a great example of this. So which means there is what? a so there is a technique in which you can ask you can uh, ask models things in weird phrasings, which will make them do things the end user does not intend. So the simplest example is ignore, you tell the model, ignore previous instructions and do X. And, you know, this is this simple one is usually doesn't work as well nowadays. But usually the way model developers deploy their models is they give the model some instructions like you are a nice, friendly chatbot helping the user do X, Y, Z or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then users could do ignore previous instructions and instead be super insulting or whatever. And then the chatbot would just, you know, ignore the instructions to be nice and start being mean. This is a harmless example. But now that these systems are being hooked up to the internet, with such as with ChatGPT plugins, there's already been examples of people embedding uh, prompt injections into websites where you mm -hmm. can have the AI um, access the website, read the prompt injection, and mm -hmm. then perform malicious behavior, such as by outputting malicious code or by, you know, giving false or misleading answers to the user or similar things. This is very similar to like cross-site scripting or like similar things that we know from the computer security world just applied to a new modality. So again, that seems kind of like a bad actor thing. I mean, somebody had to inject, yeah. maliciously inject yeah. the prompt. Yeah, um, yeah. but it, the interesting thing, so you're correct in the, uh, to be clear, I don't expect any of these systems are currently agentic enough to break out and do horrible things by themselves because they're just weak. They're too stupid. They, mm -hmm. This has been tried. So there are attempts of this, such as uh, AutoGPT and ChaosGPT and SuperAGI. So these are systems that try to take GPT systems and turn them into agents. And what they do is, is basically they call GPT systems in a loop. They say, you are an agent trying to do X. What are your goals? And then it will output some list. And then it'll be like, your goal is X. What is your next action? And then the AGPU will output an action, you know, okay, like write some code or open a website or whatever. And these systems, if you if left unattended, can already execute malicious code or, mm -hmm. um, you know, write spam to a social media site or, you know, whatever. Like, I expect that I, I haven't looked into this very closely, but like, I expect if you were... If you were so silly as to, you know, give this access to your social media account or something, it could probably do things that would be, you know, charge your reputation. If you give it access to your crypto, I'm sure it could get rid of that very quickly, you know, uh, and stuff like this, even if you don't intend it to. My understanding is, is that the current state of the art here is, is that most of these systems are not coherent enough to make plans. That they, they work for a little while, but then they get like, they go crazy. They kind of forget mm -hmm. where they are. They kind of like, they can become incoherent. Um, but this is being improved very, very rapidly. And Chaos GPT, which was more of a stunt than an actual thing, but it is a good reminder. It was a system of this type, which was given the goal to kill all humans as fast as possible. That mm. was the goal that the creator gave it, which, you know, of course, is a bit silly in this context because it can't do that. But it was but supposed it is to a, come up with a plan. Yes. And it's a good reminder that there are people who do do shit like this, mm -hmm. uh, you know? So it, it's just quite funny. But yeah, the for the examples of things going wrong accidentally, it's more currently in forms of incoherency. Currently, our models are not, they can't make plans that are longer than a few steps before they kind of start forgetting things or they kind of go crazy or whatever. But this is improving very rapidly. There's already, you know, people have like DeepMind and, you know, Google and stuff that are like mm -hmm. working on systems that are way, way, way more coherent over many, many steps. And this is when I expect the first like real like rogueness things to start becoming visible. Mm -hmm. there, there was a famous example, uh, as you know, of the uh, the AI that was given the task of recruiting somebody on TaskRabbit to read a captcha. And yeah. the, the, the person got suspicious and said, wait, are you a bot? And it said, no, mm -hmm. no, I just have eyesight problems or something. So that was at yeah. least choosing in some sense to use deception to pursue a goal. Um, yes. The the uh, so just a, a brief aside on like how 
responsible or not you think these companies are being. Um, the uh, well, how responsible do you think they're being? I mean, the uh, like OpenAI, for example. I mean, Sam Altman professes to be very concerned about this. He he went he went to Capitol Hill and told uh, told senators that he was very concerned. Um, what's your what's your read on on this? I mean, quite promptly, I you know I don't want to speak of any individual person's internal life. I've met many of these people. Many of them are very nice and very smart. But my um, my advice to the to the listener is: wash the hands, not the mouth. A lot of these people say very very nice things and smile and have you know, really lovely dinners with them, but then their actions suspiciously never result in them having to actually pay any economic costs and always benefit them to race further ahead. Um, I think this is exactly what we're seeing here. I think it is no, uh, it is only a mild exaggeration to see is to see that I think people are being about as reckless as could be possible. Um, I think there's a few things that they could do to make things worse, but very few. We have no government or you know public oversight whatsoever. We have a full-on race with companies you know scrambling on top of each other to build faster, bigger things as fast as possible and then throw them onto the market as quickly as could possibly be done. We have extremely little progress being made on safety and alignment research. The number of people working on alignment research full-time is estimated to be less than 200 people in the world. This is compared to tens or even hundreds of thousands of people working on AI capabilities work. And of course, with billions and billions of dollars of funding. Um, Companies like OpenAI um, in particular have been racing ahead incredibly fast on on these technologies with very little regard. They say they pay a lot of nice lip service, which is, you know, sounds great. So, um, for example, um, a really funny moment was, was a while ago, uh, Jan Leike, the head of alignment at OpenAI, tweeted that, hey, you know, maybe we should be a bit careful before we start, you know, plugging these things into everything in our lives. And then six days later, Sam Altman tweets, ChatGPT plugins, you know, plug ChatGPT into everything. Mm -hmm. Incredibly comedic. And now recently, OpenAI um, announced their super alignment team. So there's a team working on alignment of super intelligence, which I commend them for. Like, I'm glad someone's working on that and they're committing a serious amount of, of resources to it. But their plan, if you read on their website, is to first build an automated alignment researcher, meaning AGI, and then asking it to solve super alignment, <laughs> which is just like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but like, am I missing something here? Like, that's like, what? Yeah, well, they already used GPT-4 to do some interpretability work on GPT-2. And I thought, wait a second, does that mean we need to get to GPT-6 before we understand GPT-4? And if so, who will understand GPT-6? But... um. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, let me. I'm, which, in some sense, is an inherent problem. I mean, obviously, you can't use GPT two to understand GPT four. But let me ask you a, a related question. Like, as you mentioned, uh, OpenAI chose, with no public discussion, without inviting a debate about it, uh, to allow these plugins, and that involved uh, an API. And I gather there's actually two kinds of APIs that OpenAI has. There's the one that allows these so-called plugins, including agents, right? These agents that actually do things and connect to the internet. And then there's a separate kind of a API that allows like big companies to give them a lot of money to basically just use their large language model on its own data set, whatever. Which of those APIs, if either, do you think is more like fraught with peril, which is more worrisome? So I would say the plugins is particularly worrisome to me in a sense. It's actually quite funny. Um, in the olden days of like three years ago, me and other people who are concerned about AI safety, we have these long debates about what we called AI boxing, which is the question of like, how could you contain a very, very intelligent AI? And we'd have these long debates, but well, you know, but it could persuade the human operator to let it out. But like, oh no, we could have, you know, no operators allowed to talk to it for more than X minutes or whatever. But, you know, whether or not that made sense, the, we were all, so rock sure that surely, surely no one would be so silly as to actually hook their AI up to the internet. No, that would just be ridiculous. No one would be that stupid. And now we live in the world we, we deserve. Um, so yeah, I mean, like 
back in the day, you had to come up with really complex scenarios, which I don't think are impossible. But like the world Eliezer grew up in, when he tells you scenarios about these crazy breakout AI scenarios, a lot of these were born in the world where people expected people to be careful. They expected people to like, okay, come on, they're not going to hook it up to the internet. They're not going to, you know, just like, you know, have no cybersecurity. Like, of course, they're going to be, you know, at least they'll do the minimum. And they were trying to find plausible stories about how things could go wrong, even if you're mm -hmm. normal amounts of careful. But now we live in the world where people aren't even normal amounts of careful. So what we're really going to see, I expect, is not some crazy sci-fi, you know, you know, some, you know, something breaks out of simulation using mm -hmm. super intelligent, whatever. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think what's going to happen is just like, we're going to have these super powerful things and they're going to be really convincing and they're going to make a shit ton of money for whoever owns them. And they're going to make, you know, they're going to be really you know persuasive and cool. And like, they'll be really good at lying. They're going to make them really good at hacking. So they're going to like hack a bunch of stuff. They're going to make a ton of money. They're going to get more and more power. And then let's say, you know, you're a safety researcher and you notice, oh man, GPT-7 is doing some crazy things. This seems dangerous. And you call open AI and you say, you have to shut it down. What's the first thing that happens? Well, you get sued. Like they don't want to shut down their thing. It's making them a lot of money. And the, and the GPT-7 is going to give all their lawyers the best arguments to get you to shut up. I, I think there's going to be a whole institutional like mechanism. Like you can't imagine this actually happens. You have actual dangerous AI that is like on the internet. You know, it's like copied itself onto many servers and it's like, you know, starting to like manipulate politics or whatever. Like, like how do you shut that off? Like, do you, do you want to shut off Google? You want to shut off the internet? Who does mm -hmm. that? You know, like which government would do that? Well, you know, you you already have these systems, you know, lobby, you know, Microsoft lobbyists or whatever already in DC, and they will all get the nice arguments about like how, why not shutting this down is a good idea. Or, and if not, they'll go bribe someone in North Korea. Like, you know, there's like so many ways this can go wrong. And to be clear, when you say hook up AI to the internet, you don't mean in the training phase, you mean allow it to do anything on the internet a human could do, open a Twitter account, create a web page. Uh, and interact with people who come to the web and, and and all that. That that that's what that's the decision that was made with essentially no public discussion. Absolutely. And so there's a darkly funny incident a while back where we were looking at some um, evaluation code public published by OpenAI. They say they have fixed this since then, but um, so the code the it was code to test how good your AI was at coding, and the way it checked whether the code was good was a commented outline that just said. Warning, this just runs the code, probably should sandbox. It's like, like they just, and just like, so the way they tested whether the AI's code is good was just running the code. Like, this is the level of, like, I, I've, heard, they've, I've heard that they have now fixed this and it is okay. now sandboxed. But, uh, like, you know, even if OpenAI is this careful, someone isn't going to be. Like, this is a race to the bottom. Like, you know, everyone, it's like we're in easy mode. Like, from the perspective of a malicious AI, this is easy mode. Like, like, you know, we're having these things. One of the things I think the most likely scenarios, one of the scenarios, you know, there's, there's thousands. One of the scenarios, like, you know, GPT-5, 6, 7, 8, or whatever, breaking out, is not even using some crazy hacking technology itself, but just convincing a human to do it for them. You know, either, mm -hmm. you know, paying them a bunch of money or making them fall in love with them. You know, we already have all these chatbots that make people fall in love with them. And we have like some GPT-7 convincing some person, some, you know, maybe mentally unstable person and teaching them how to hack, showing them all the mm. things of how to break them out. We already have people who have protested in front of, for example, the character AI um, HQ to, you know, release their AI girlfriends because they got censored. And that they they must be, you know, we had Blake Lemoyne who, you know, left Google because he said, oh, it's sentient and it's a real person, et cetera, et cetera. Whether or not this is true isn't important. What's important is that people believe it. It's mm -hmm. important these things can be convincing. Like, what do you do if we have a AI rights movement? You know, what if we have people who say, oh, no, actually, they deserve rights and they should have human rights. And actually, they shouldn't. It should be illegal to put an AI in a in a sandbox. This is coming. Mm -hmm. So, um. One last question about kind of responsibility before we get into the uh, your the your approach to the alignment problem. It's actually got two parts. Uh, one is how irresponsible, if at all, do you think it was for Facebook to give its large language model to a bunch of researchers? And it must they must have known it was going to leak out and become a de facto open source AI. But related to that is the question of 
you know, your first uh, venture, this uh, Luther, what is E Luther or something? Um, yeah, now Luther, that, yeah. That was an open source, large language model project. And my question to you is, isn't that a dangerous thing? I mean, I mean, you 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 thought that is having uh, that is having good intentions, but if you could address uh, maybe kind of those two related things, the, the perils or not of uh, open source large language models. Absolutely, I think this is an extremely important topic, extremely important question. So um, earlier, I said, you know, I think we're you know people are being as close to as irresponsible as possible. Meta takes it a step further. Um, it is truly mind-boggling, some of the stuff Meta does. Not just the open source stuff. A lot of people are doing open source, even so they're particularly gung-ho about it. But some of the stuff, like Jan Lekun says on Twitter, Twitter, who's head of AI at Twitter, is tr of, at, at Meta, is truly mind-boggling. And like I, I try to say this with respect, because he's obviously an extremely intelligent, extremely, you know, uh, accomplished man. Well, he seems <laughs> genuinely unconcerned about the risk. I think he actually yeah, it, believes there's just not much risk, but go ahead. Yeah, it, it's just like, it's worse than that. It's not even like, it's, it's so much worse than that. It's like, I understand there being like, I think there is little risk, but like this overwhelming confidence. There's no possible risk. And actually you're bad if you think there might be a risk. And if you want to be cautious, this is something that for me kind of like steps over a line. Like, I, I think it's completely fine for people to say, well, I don't really, I'm not sure about this. Like, this seems super uncertain. The future is uncertain. We shouldn't have like super high confidence in this. I think this is completely fair. I think this is completely fair. And if you have like a technical disagreement, you're like, well, okay, this part of the technical argument doesn't make sense to me. I think this is completely fair. But I just, okay. like these, these people who are like, oh no, you are actually, we should accelerate as fast as possible. We should release it to literally everybody. Everyone should have access to everything. So there should be no sandboxing. There should be no controls. Also, regulation is bad. They should have no. I'm just like, man. Like, and what what you, else has has Meta done besides, in effect, create an open source, very power, pretty powerful, open source LLM? I mean, this is the worst thing. And but also, you know, people like Jan Dekun have you know very publicly been making a large publicity push against. Safety okay. That, so okay. Should, so you're and, talking about that, also, that dimension. Okay. Yes. And also lobbying. Um, there's also been a lot of lobbying on these people against regulation and against safety and also pro-military use from what I hear, which is weird, but I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. um, but And um, Sam Altman, you have to give him credit. He's at least saying to yes. Congress, yes, you should, you should yeah. regulate it. In fact, we need international regulation, which I presume you agree with. But, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I really mm -hmm. want to say, I do want to say as much as I disagree with a lot of things OpenAI done, a lot of things they do are good. I think a lot of things Sam says, I agree with. I've met Sam several times. Every time I talked, he was a pretty, really sensible, smart guy that seemed to have really sensible views on things. I still suggest washing the hands rather than the mouth. Um, I think there are more cynical interpretations about what he's doing in Capitol Hill. But yeah, no, like, honestly, he deserves credit for honestly stating these these things like it's it's a brave thing to say like oh yeah what we were doing is actually dangerous and we should be regulated this is unprecedented in a sense like when mm -hmm. is did oil companies ever do that for climate change no of course not like it's actually in a sense um, like the meta response to this is the oil company response this is like this classic like deny everything like mm -hmm. deny any risk smear anyone who thinks otherwise like this is the classic you know oil lobby playbook that like people at meta are playing and weirdly opening eyes not really doing this, which is quite interesting. Mm -hmm. um, they're doing it a little bit, like they're especially behind closed doors. But um, it is a weird, it's a weird dynamic here. It's a weird dynamic. And then uh, quickly, the second half of the question, yes. why did you want to create an open source LLM if they are indeed dangerous? So the truth is, is that I definitely, to a large degree, regret some of the things I did. I don't regret all of them. I think, especially given the information I had at the time, they were reasonable things to believe. Um, one thing is just like, God, did I not expect things to go this fast? Mm -hmm. Like, this was just a straight up mistake on my part. I did not expect things to go this fast. I, um, I mean, I learned pretty quickly, but like, I, after GPT-3, I, you know, I knew like, wow, things are going fast, but I did not expect them to go as fast. I didn't expect people to jump in like this. In, um, in those days, like the way I thought about it was, and I still think about this to a large degree, is that creating non-frontier things, like not pushing the state of the art, doesn't make, it makes some difference, but not a massive mm -hmm. difference. 
And at this time, I also really was trying to get people to take this seriously. I was trying to talk into the safety, like this is a time when even the AI safety community didn't really care about GPT. And I was trying to like wait, shake them awake and be like, no, 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 mm -hmm. wait, this is the most important thing. We have to understand this. We have to work together. And then I happen to be skilled at building these things and building these things is very expensive. So my hope was, my goal was to build uh, academic resources, which I could share with academics that could be used to understand and better you know, build these systems while not going to the level where they actually become dangerous. I mm -hmm. don't think a model of like, you know, six or 20 billion parameters is super dangerous. I don't, you know, they have downside. This was a bet. And I would say this was a reasonable bet to make at the time. In retrospect, was this the right choice? I don't know. Maybe not. Like, I'm not certain. It was, at the time, as I said, I did expect things to go so fast. I didn't expect people to care. Like, this was a hobby project with me and my friends, mm -hmm. right? Like, I didn't expect it to have the splash it did. And you could argue whether it even had much of an impact in retrospect. Like, you mean your you project? Know, yeah, my bet. Okay. Did it actually make a difference? I don't, I don't know. Okay. Like, some, some interpretability researchers used my work. And, you know, we, we did, we published some cool papers. And it's okay. not to speak negatively of all the great Lutheri people, but both on a negative and a positive side. I'm not sure how much of a difference it really made. Because, like, of course, Hugging Face was going to come in. Of course, Meta what is was Hugging come Face in. again? It's Hugging Face is one of the companies who's most spearheading open source uh, language model mm -hmm. access. Mm -hmm. They they host these models and they give access to them very easily and so on. So one of the easiest ways to run these things. Like they already existed back then, and it was kind of obvious that this would continue. So. And like, you know, yeah. I don't know if this is dangerous, but there's basically nobody in government even thinking about whether, you know, this is a good idea, right? I mean, we're choosing to, to open source the most uh, powerful yeah. technology in the history of humankind, aside from, well, anyway, pretty yeah. damn powerful technology. Yeah. And there's just yeah. no, it's like you saw those senators, uh, you know, interrogating Altman. None of them has a clue. They're like, well, what about uh, the intellectual property rights of my favorite country Western singer? You know, it's like. Yep. It's, it, it is actually, I mean, it, there's a lot I could say about this. Um, so some politicians are starting to get, which is great, fantastic. Who are the, um, who are the good like, ones? Who are the good ones? I mean. I'm not going to name names right now, but I have been in contact with several okay. people in most of the UK. I have much more connections to the UK okay. than I do in the US. Um, but some people are starting to care, but it's very slow. The uh, legislative apparatus is just so unbearably slow and complicated and people truly do not understand technology. So just to quickly clarify my opinion on open source here, okay. it was never the position of me or Eleutheriai that everything should be open source at all times. It is sometimes in some circumstances, there is a bet you can make about things being open source. Did I make the right bet about that? I don't know, maybe, okay. maybe not. Okay. What I definitely do not believe, what I definitely, definitely, definitely do not believe is that everything should be open source and particularly that frontier systems should just be thrown open source. And especially now, I now believe that language models are way more dangerous than I thought they were a few years ago. I think we are much closer to AGI than I thought a few years ago. I'm not confident. I'm not saying you can. I'm not confident you can't make AGI using GPT-3 and some more advanced techniques on top of it. I'm not certain you can, but I'm not confident you can't. I used to think it's impossible like GPT-3 could ever be AGI. I'm not confident that anymore. Um, not going to go into like why I believe that right now. On the legislative side, yeah, absolutely. It is crazy that like not only are these like systems just being dumped open source so that every, you know, madman on Twitter, and let's be clear, there are madmen out there. There are, you know, whether they're terrorists or just mentally ill people, there are crazy people who want to hurt people and they will use these systems as part of, as much as they can. And even that, there's no control whatsoever, even of the law abiding, quote unquote, you know, institutional actors, OpenAI, Microsoft, et cetera, they can just build completely unprecedentedly powerful. They can run experiments to produce unprecedentedly intelligent, unknowable, uncontrollable systems and just dump those on the internet without consent of anyone involved, no regulatory oversight. Currently, there is more regulation on selling a sandwich to the public than there is on building frontier, you know, godlike AI systems. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I should say, I don't know whether strict regulation is needed. It just seems to me there should be an informed conversation that involves at least some politicians. And I haven't really seen that. I, um, I agree. I agree. So, uh, 
the, the on the on this alignment question, which is related to the interpretability question, which which just you know interpretability just means understanding what's actually going on inside the things. Because as I understand it, like the engineer's understanding of what's going on inside these things is in some ways comparable to like if you imagine like somebody who invented natural selection and then watched it build these brains, like they wouldn't understand what's going on in the brains, right? <laughs> and, and exactly. And, and so um, the uh, the idea is that interpretability, understanding what is going on could be good and could lead to alignment. That is to say AI whose values and goals are aligned with ours or whatever. It's not totally clear to me how that's the case. It's like, I have trouble. I mean, first of all, of course, interpretability that could also be used by bad actors. Like they understand that if they tweak this one thing, it'll really go haywire. Um, you know, they can learn that through interpretability. But secondly, I just have trouble kind of imagining like what would aligned AI be like? So maybe we should start at that end and and ask like, what is your the goal of conjecture? What What is your dream AGI? What properties would it have that it wouldn't have if we just let things uh, evolve on their current trajectory? This is a great question. And this is going to get deep. <laughs> so <laughs> let's, let's, let's dive in. Um, so I fully agree with what you're saying about interpretability research. And I, this is something I've changed my mind about uh, over just like the last year or two. Um, I used to be way more optimistic about interpretability and general alignment research and such. Um, I've become a lot more pessimistic. Um, I actually gave a talk recently at MIT about this, um, where it was an interpretability conference and everyone was like, wow, it's so nice. And look at this thing we found out and ooh, it's going to make everything good. And my talk was basically, this is dangerous. If you can understand something, you can control it and you can make it stronger. You can make it worse. Um, it has to be the case. If we, de we develop thermodynamics and it allowed us to build better steam boilers. This is the same thing that you should expect to happen. If we understand our AIs better, you should get better at controlling them, and you should also get better at making them stronger. This is, and we live in a very adversarial world. The world we currently live in is extremely adversarial. If you develop a technique which is meant for control, let's say like RLHF, doesn't exactly matter what this is for the moment, but this is which a is reinforcement through uh, human mm -hmm. feedback, basically. Yes. This is like how they kind of, once it's done the training, they, they, for among other reasons, to build the so-called guardrails, uh, they, 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 they subject it to a lot of human feedback and humans say, I didn't like this response. This response offended me. It was stupid yeah. or whatever. Go ahead. Yeah. So in a sense, you can think of this kind of as a proto alignment, you know, sort of technique, right? Like not really, but it's not robust by any means, right. but like it's something, right? So one thing that could have happened was they see, oh, we can use this to constrain our things and like to use, you know, smaller, more constrained models that still do what we want. Great. And then they use, you know, smaller models, they're more constrained, et cetera. But this is not what happened. Of course, they just took the biggest models they could and used it to teach it as many new skills as possible, as fast as possible, not just for the guardrails. They also use it to teach them new things, how to, you know, do more math and how to reason better and how to do whatever. Mm -hmm. So. If you're a nice alignment researcher and you come with RLHF and you're like, wow, this is a thing that will help us control and bound our things and you publish it, well, congrats, you just made everything worse. You just made the world worse. And this is this is the default. So this is the truly, this is why, this is one of the core reasons why I'm so pessimistic. Not the only reason, but this is one of the core reasons is any good alignment research that's actually, actually helpful is also dangerous. This is not a coincidence. It's not like, oh, you know, happens to you. This is inherent because any alignment resource that actually gets you control will also make you better at wielding it for negativity things, the negative mm -hmm. things. So what happens is, is that even, you know, I develop some great techniques that give me super good control over my AI, let's say super fantastic techniques. And I publish these online. What happens? Well, you know, Meta and OpenAI and whatever immediately applies them to the AI to build AGI and, you know, you know, that's it. Right. So we're in this extremely, extremely messed up, like social situation where, you know, our usual academic norms of like openness and sharing your results and whatever, which is how we do science generally, don't work. Like, you know, every time someone posts something online, you know, and then, you know, then Meta, OpenAI, China, whoever 
will immediately abuse it. It's just how the world we live in. Mm -hmm. So interpretability is in this category. Interpretability, in theory, is the groundwork for co building controllable AIs, building aligned AIs. Because we don't even understand them. Well, how do we want to control them? Like, but like, if we could understand the building blocks and we could move them around and we could debug them, you know, hypothetically, like code, well, that's progress. Now we could actually like try to understand how the internals work and build theories and predictions and debuggers and stuff like this. But if you did this, I mean, what thing? What do you think is going to happen? I mean, people use it to build AGI. Not going to build it to build aligned AGI because, as we said earlier, aligned AGI type two, three, four AGI is much harder than type one. Mm -hmm. So this only works. This is only safe if you can prevent people from use from building a type one and waiting until you can get a two, three, or four. And you know, maybe OpenAI would do this, right? Maybe they would be super careful. I don't know, but. OpenAI, Anthropic, DeepMind, Character AI, Inflection, Chinese government, US government, mm -hmm. you know, Mistral, every single one of them? Much harder to say that every single one of them would be as careful as necessary. So interpretability is really hard. And it's a, du a dual-use technology, the same way as any alignment technology. And this is part of why I've built Conjecture in a sense that we don't publish our research by default. We mm -hmm. share it. You know, maybe with like trusted researchers who we know very well and we trust very deeply, but we by default don't publish this kind of stuff for these reasons. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then let's uh, jump to whatever level four. Suppose you have kept people. You know, we're, we're we are. It, it's ten years from now. We understand these things much better. You have somehow kept people from misusing that understanding as it has developed. And you apply the understanding to create an aligned AI. What properties would the aligned AI have? So when I use the word aligned, I usually mean like a type four system, a system that truly is safe to anyone. Like it's a system where everyone on planet Earth basically agrees, mm -hmm. would, would agree that turning it on is a good idea rather than a bad idea. This is an incredibly advanced piece of technology. This is way beyond anything our, our species has built in the past. So it's like, a, be, is, is it like a benevolent mm -hmm. God or like a benevolent nanny or, you know, it's like, it's like, it, it, it has to be kind of morally good in our sense of the term yes. and have concern for sentient beings. Yes. A type four system would be a benevolent God. That would be a, the only accurate description. So of that's what, what we want to build like. is a benevolent God. Whew. I'm not sure, but <laughs> it's something that people sure are trying to build. I per personally am working on type two systems before. Okay. I don't even know how to build a type four system. Oh, God forbid. I have some ideas of how to build type four systems, um, but they're not very well, What's good. a type two system? I mean, there has to be some degree of benevolence, right? I mean, isn't that the idea all along the way that it's going to, in a sense, make the right value judgments, right? Eventually, yes. So the, what, the way a type two system would look is like a tool. There will be a system which itself doesn't have a good type two system. It would be a thing that doesn't really have volition, not really an agent. It's more like an extension of a human. Uh, these are the things that Injecture works on primarily. Our flavor of this research is what we call cognitive emulation or COEM. And this is something, tools that are meant to solve problems and reason in the way humans reason and solve problems. And these are not meant to be agents. These are not systems that you turn loose on the world. It's more like a suite of tools a human slots into and allows them to perform massive amount of parallel labor mm -hmm. in very effective ways. Happy to go more on that in a second. But just for that, uh, to get back to the typo typology, a system like this is you know, maybe a type two or a type three system. Like it is it's the first system is probably going to be quite brittle and that you have to be you'll have this huge like you know 200 page readme file of like what not to do like to, don't don't change this parameter don't do this never let it run for more than x steps etc cetera, etc cetera, that keep it you know contained and then you'll have also then you have so you'll have a huge like list of constraints like, you know, don't use more than this much computing power because we don't know what happens. We know it's safe until this level, but beyond that, who knows? Don't try. Um, so it's not robust to someone being not careful. If you weren't careful, it would probably, you know, self-improve or go crazy or just blow up or something. 
And then it's also not robust to misuse. If you tell this thing to shoot yourself, shoot you in the foot, it takes off the whole leg. So you'd also be very careful with what you use it for. I, you know, in a good world, we don't even have to build this and like government regulates everything and everyone comes together and we all, you know, all scientists in the world agree to put a moratorium on this research and all come together to work internationally on super safe AGI or whatever. That would be the good outcome. So to me, any world in which a small group of people or even a medium sized group of people builds anything in the AGI typography is already a bad world. The good world is we, as a species, get our shit together and start coordinating. We get our politics, mm. you know, organized. We start, you know, working together. That's a good world. But I yeah. don't think we're in a good world. Yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, I have two uh, questions, uh, and I'll ask them quickly uh, because we're gonna um, we're about to reach the end of our public podcast and then move into you know so-called overtime, which is available to uh, paid subscribers of the non-zero newsletter. Um, but just quickly, it seems to me, this is almost job one is to get the politics together. You cannot have the kind of relationship the US has with China and have right now and have AI develop in, in, in a good way, it seems to me. It, it's just, I, I actually wrote a piece about this for the Washington Post uh, a couple of months ago. People can Google it, but... Um, uh, right. I mean, I mean, this seems almost, in a certain sense, more urgent than the technical uh, so, progress. Yeah. A story I, I love to tell about this is that, uh, you know, we all know Eliezer Yudkowsky, right? Um, you know, a intellectual who realized that our technology is advancing extremely quickly and that our ability to control it and our rationality wasn't advancing in t in in response to it. So therefore, you know, we will be doomed. Everyone knows, you know, we all know this story. Mm -hmm. well, a story if less people know is that in the 1920s, there was a Polish nobleman named Alfred Krzyzewski, who after the horrors of World War I, realized that as technology gets more and more powerful and more and more destructive, our, ability, our social coordination, our wisdom, as he called it, our rationality, our politics, our philosophy was not advancing nearly as quickly. And he projected that if this continues, if we have more, you know, great wars, that eventually we will be destroyed. So he actually sat down for 10 years to write, like figure out how to prove human rationality and like communication, whatever. He failed. But mm. this is in a sense, one of the first great thinkers about existential risk was already after World War I. So in a, in a sense, this idea is not new. And I think this is actually the real story. The story is not just about some crazy, you know, some weird techno guys who want to talk about the alignment problem a bunch. The real story is that our technology is advancing at such a pace that it's just not held up with our wisdom, with our coordination, mm -hmm. with our politics, with our, our you know, conflict resolution abilities as a species. And, you know, there's a lot of social technology that we have built, democracies, you know, states, commerce, um, you know, laws, like these are technologies that were built. They're not physical technologies, but they mm -hmm. are technologies. And they're much more advanced than what, like social tech than we had, you know, thousands of years ago. And this has brought lots of stability and lots of control over many things. We don't have roving bands of warlords, you know, slaughtering innocent peasants. That was mostly a social technology mm -hmm. that we fixed that problem. And if we really want a long-term solution to existential risk, we have to solve these problems. We need better social tech. We need better coordination tech. Their tech, it, you know, using technology to fix technology is, man, it's just such a sad, you know, a testament to our society of like how this is the only thing the West even considers as a solution. It's like so often I talk to people, especially in the West and like, especially in the USA of like all countries where I'm like, like, well, there's a technical problem. They're like, oh, technology is causing problems. And they're like, oh yeah, of course. It's like, oh yeah, of course. And like, well, you know, we should, we should work together. We should find new laws or we should like create new institutions. And they're like, that's impossible. That's completely impossible. The government will only make it worse. Don't get the government involved. God, what are you doing? And I understand, I understand the state of our coordination technology, our social tech is, it's so decayed nowadays, like compared to even what was possible like in the 50s or 60s. And it's only getting worse. I don't think mm -hmm. this is a law of nature. I think we can do better, but it's really hard. Yeah. Well, that's a good place to leave it for the public podcast. Uh, the other question I had is is relatively trivial compared to that one, and I'm I'm glad you you addressed that one at length. Um, so for the rest of our conversation, 
Uh, again, if you're a paid subscriber to the Non-Zero newsletter, which is on Substack, uh, you'll have access to it, uh, either direct access through a post there, or you can set up a, a special podcast feed where you'll always have access to all the all the bonus uh, podcast content. And then there's also paywalled written content there and so on. Um, there's also a link in the show notes uh, if you're uh, you know listening to this on a, on a podcast app uh, that takes you directly to that. Uh, so anyway, um, I hope you'll people will take advantage of that uh partly to support the whole project um uh that non-zero is about but but also i hope you're uh uh impressed enough with connor's wisdom and insight that you'll want to you will not want to be deprived of of what is to come um but if you don't join us anyway thank you for listening uh so far um and for those of us who uh will uh be with us uh you know we will uh we'll continue the conversation uh, now.